Coming to you from the foot of the majestic Rocky Mountains, Denver, Colorado, it's the Savage Cast, a Savage Worlds podcast brought to you by the Rocky Mountain Savages. Here are your hosts, Chris Savage Mommy Fox, Christopher Savage Bull Landauer, and David Garrett. Welcome, Savages, to episode 23 of the Savage Cast, Sounds Like Crows, with any. In today's episode, we're going to interview Caleb Sunstead, the host and GM of an awesome podcast that Mr. Fox found called Sounds Like Crows. Um, but before then, we got a few little items of business. So what have you been up to in the gaming world recently, Mr. Savage Mommy? Well, uh, last time I kind of talked about getting ready to start my Deadlands Noir game. That happened last Saturday. Uh, it was interesting. A John Goff production? Yes. Yes, we'll talk about uh, how you can get your own copy of Savage Worlds Noir here in a, in a minute if you really want one. If you have banker money right. or gangster money, really. So, yeah, it, it started out, I, I will say right off the bat, a little rocky. Because I've got... Like Balboa? One character who's playing a detective, and everybody else is playing... I've got a lady who works at a bookstore. I've got a voodooist who uh, does tarot readings out of his apartment. I've got a guy who owns a candy store that's got an illegal gambling den in the back. Um, so I've got these, you know, all these different characters and didn't even think about for the first adventure, which I'm running the plot point of how to get them together. And so the guy playing the detective, it was just him and I for a little while. So it was a little rocky trying to get everybody into the game. And I could not believe it. I'm like, Chris, how could you not spend a little bit of time thinking about how you're going to bring these, you know, five different types of characters into the game? And my, my assumption was, hey, you know, you all are independent contractors for the detective agency, so you'll just come and be at work at the detective agency and... That's not really how they saw things. So I went through about 45 minutes to an hour of just getting the party together, trying to keep everybody in uh, in the same headspace of the game because they were someone were kind of sitting around waiting for me to, to get them in. And, and my buddy Tommy, who's playing the detective, was like, yeah, you just got to... He's like, I'm working. I'm working to get people together. And I'm like, yeah, sorry. I kind of just assumed, which I shouldn't have. So, you know, it'll be it'll be interesting there. So they're in, into it now. They all, We all had a really good time, and they had a really good time. But uh, something to think about, GMs out there who oh, might be running a plot point, is how are you going to bring five or six different types of PCs together to start the adventure? Yeah, getting the, and it's kind of important, because if you don't have a solid foundation there, later in mid-game, you have, like, the player revelations of, like, why do I even care about these other people? I don't need to be here. I can just... Graham and you know right but if you get the solid hook in the beginning it kind of uh, leads to you know more emotional commitment to the, the group activity and and some games like con games uh, it's like yeah no you guys are all part of a group you're hired you're doing this like that's just, just and start, see that's like, kind of what I thought I was doing by making them all independent contractors and saying hey you can play what you want to to an extent but you have to have a reason to be working as an independent contractor or a reason to work for Continental Investigations, which is the, you know, the agency that is in Deadlines Noir. And I just assumed that they'd all get together in the first five minutes and off we'd go. And that's just not, not how it was and not what they were kind of doing. But like I said, I've got them there. I, got, I gave them that first hook. 
Um, and so now they're off to, uh, to really dig into the mission. So, you know, it's something I'll have to work with. I'll have to, I think it's going to be something every week where I'm going to have to make sure that I'm working hard to keep everybody involved and have something for everyone to do. And so I'm going to have to really look at the plot points, read those and embellish them a little bit to really make it work. Cause I don't want people sitting around because that's when, you know, we said last recording, people already know this, how I hate phones and crap people like start that. Whipping it and out of they, the table. Yeah. They start whipping out those electronics and you're like, and you know, I had that nice talk with them beforehand and I basically told them if you're going to be playing a different game or texting, just get up and leave the table and come back when you're ready. You know, and I, I got the pushback of, well, we're all parents. We all need to have our phones. We all need to do this and that. And I'm like, that's not what I said. I said, if you're going to be texting, you're going to be playing Star Wars games or Star Trek or all that other crap, just step away from the table. If you need to take a phone call from your husband, child, well, no shit. I'm not going to oh, my God, you can't talk to anybody in your family. That's not what I'm going for. I'm just stay involved in the game and pay attention. But that, that's okay. That's, that's, that's a rant we, we can... I don't want to spend a lot of time getting back into. I think everybody knows my feelings on it. Yeah, I think both points just kind of speak to enjoyment through immersion. You know, you get the group together in their headspace and keeping people at the table involved both lead to successful immersion in the activity, which makes it fun. So. Right. Yeah. And I wanted to I wanted to talk about something else real quick. I've uh, got uh, kind of a little bit of a new obsession. He's and, got an obsession. Uh, I've really it's an obsession. It is. It is. Dun, 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 I've never dun. really done a lot of this, but it's uh, solo gaming. And uh, I found a great game out there. Uh, it's called Four Against Darkness. And such, such a good game. Um, I love it. It's uh, by an Italian uh, gentleman. His name is Andrea... Spiligoi. Yeah, there you go. That's how you say his last name. And uh, he's... Spiligoi. Yeah. Spiligoi. Just in case you missed it, it's... There you go. Uh, and his uh, website is GaneshaGames.net. Uh, we'll, of course, have this in the uh, show notes. But it's, it's a great random solo dungeon crawl. You create a party of four characters. It's old school. Dwarf and elf are actually a class. Oh, man. In this. Yes. And you, it takes 2d6 <laughs> and some graph paper. I wasn't a dwarf to start the game, but now that I'm multiclassing, I became a dwarf. I became a dwarf. <laughs> yeah, so I'm running right now. I'm running your, your you know, core old school party. I have warrior, rogue, cleric, wizard. Nice. And I'm running them. I just finished, uh, just started my second dungeon last night. I finished up my first dungeon, and it wasn't, it didn't go great, but uh, I, I ran out uh, like a chicken. And uh, finished, you survived, though. I right? survived, finished that. And, you know, everybody's, uh, you know, there's a lot of great write ups. Board Game Geek has a great section um, about it. The game a couple weeks ago was number one on their hotness list. It's dropped uh, a little bit. But uh, great Facebook um, group. I've been asking questions on there. And, the, uh, and Andrea gets right back to people. And, and he's got a lot of good people in his group. So, uh, if you're interested in doing some solo dungeon delving or just, you know, killing some time, look for Four Against Darkness. Uh, the PDF of the core book, eight bucks. Oh, nice. Um, you can get it printed through uh, Lulu. They'll print it up for you. And, uh, you know, Andre's got a bunch of stuff coming out. He's got people writing for him. So it's not a line that's going to, you know, go away. They're putting stuff out. And he's putting, pumping out books throughout this year. Yeah, we brought Gilbert in to Colorado, and like now Fox and I have become like the number one fan club of Italian gaming. 
Yeah. Right? I mean, like, you're, you're going to be in Italy maybe next year and go visit these dudes. Yeah, I'm hoping to go next year. And, games with them. Yeah, and uh, Gilbert knows uh, Andrea, and so it'll be kind of fun to, to, go, to go hang out with both those guys. I'm hoping to make that happen. Yeah, and Gilbert and I are working on a project, and then I got invited to do a one-sheet for Rockopolis, which is fun. So, so yeah, like we said last, uh, last these show. These Italian dudes are doing some Savage Worlds, guys. And we got stuff going on. Yeah, we definitely got stuff going on. So... What's uh, anything else? Yeah, we, oh, we have yeah. we have so the it, big thing. Uh, the, the big thing. Well, we'll call no, this a, a, a you know ten thousand pound elephant. Well, no, before that. Oh, okay. There's the ten thousand dollar books on Amazon. Right, that's what I was talking about. Oh, that. Oh, oh yeah. yeah. There we go. So uh, if you want to get in to Savage Worlds Fantasy Companions, originally sale price of like what nineteen ninety nine. Ah, uh, yeah, I think so. Maybe 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 twenty nine ninety. Yeah, between that. in there. Yeah, like not too bad, right? A couple cups. We'll of say under thirty dollars. Yeah, you can have one now on Amazon for the low, low price of $245.94. Yes. A- and that's the low price. Right. Yeah, you can, you can get even... Uh, I mean, for a used, quote-unquote, acceptable copy, you can pay $8,700 used. Right, yeah. Use acceptable. Acceptable. Yeah, so it may have writing in it. It may have dog-eared pages. Uh, I was selling on Amazon for a little while, so I know what use acceptable means. Yeah, pretty harsh. And um, what if they want to get into Deadlines Noir, the core book? Oh, oh, you, you only in at a smooth $5,734. There you go. So if, if my uh, talking about my noir game uh, gets you guys excited to go out there, pick that up and give it a try, head on over to Amazon and... Uh, Pick yourself up a copy for a cool five grand. I mean, this used to be an affordable hobby that you could justify to significant others as, well, at least it's not as expensive as, you know, a car hobby or a drug hobby or, you know, a micro-machine airplane hobby or a gambling hobby or now, I mean, at these prices, like 5700 8700 maybe the 700 is kind of a thing now. But, you know, Savage Worlds Collector, and, and really with the new black version coming out, all of the current books are going to be, you know... Uh, out of print and collector's limited, editions. Collector's editions. There you go. Right, and like how much more? Because I got mine signed. Although then I never, I never actually sell. I mean, all the wonderful like, please stop playing our hobbies, Chris. Thanks, Shane. Um, you know, like that's just something I, I value and treasure. I could never really sell that. That's right. Yep. But the uh, oh, and speaking of local conventions and local awesomeness, uh, the Savage Cast and the Rocky Mountain Savages have to give a major shout out to our members, Rocky Mountain Savages members Andrea and Donnie Arnold, who have acquired Tacticon and Genghiscon. So, kudos and a benny to you guys. Yeah, congratulations! Many awesome things coming in the for in the future from you guys. So yeah, it'll be very very uh, cool to see what they do with the conventions and uh, you know how they can grow those and uh, pretty exciting times, I think. So, without further ado, we're going to give uh, get Caleb Sunset on the phone and uh, do an interview, dude. So, we'll be back. Savage Cast listeners, welcome to the show. Caleb Sunstead, the host and GM of Sounds Like Crows. Welcome, man. Hey, thanks for having me, guys. I'm super excited to be here. I really like your show. Hey, we appreciate it. We yeah, love your love, show. Yeah, love your show. Yeah, it's uh, one of those that uh, really uh, made my work day uh, go by a lot quicker because I listened to it all in a, in a couple of days uh, sitting at work. So uh, yeah, I mean, I thank you. Without <laughs> reservation, I think we can both say it's probably the best actual play in terms of like story, editing, quality, the- thematics, you know, acting ability um, that we've come across. So congratulations, dude. We hope you, you take off and wow. many more things to come. So 
Thank you, man. I hope so too. <laughs> so give us a little background on how you got into role playing and like, so what was your first role playing experience? Like yeah. what system? Tell what us age? about your first time. Yeah. What was your first time? Like? <laughs> so like the first system we played in for any length of time was um, Star Wars Saga Edition, was, which was like a D20 Star Wars system. Um, my oldest brother, Isaac, who plays Abel on the show, he, you know, got super into it. We had been trying to do kind of role-playing stuff for a while. I had played, like, a session of D&D. Uh, we played a little bit of this game called Spycraft, which was like a D20 modern system. Nice. But I think that Star Wars system is, like, where I think we really found it and got into it. That was like a 20-session campaign, I think. So what brought you into Savage Worlds? Um. Honestly, it was just, well, actually, basically the answer to all of these is probably going to be my brother, Isaac. Uh, he ran a game of Deadlands when I was like 13 or 14, and it was like the first time, I don't know if this happens for you guys, but for most players that I introduced to role-playing games, there's kind of this switch where they just kind of play themselves for a while, you know, loosely veiled as some other character, and then they hit some game where they they realize, oh, I'm actually playing a character now. And our first Deadlands game is kind of when that happened for me. I played a mad scientist. Isaac ran this really weird game based upon, like, the seven deadly sins, and there was, like, avatars of each sin that we fought. It was just really cool. And I've been trying to get him to run a Deadlands game for, like, ten years now. So I just, yeah. <laughs> so you just decided, hey, really since you're not going to run Deadlands, I'll run it. Yeah, correct. <laughs> okay, so yeah, no, I mean, I know I'm a new fan and stuff, and I don't have much sway, but man, I want to hear the the actual play of the Seven Deadly Sins Avatar game too. Like, you know, yeah, the sequel to Sounds Like Crows. I mean, I know, oh, you, well, I already have the sequel, the the second sequel, maybe the prequel, whatever. When you guys make it big and there's a movie deal, like, I also want that podcast too. Like, I want to, I want to hear okay. that one go down. So, so was Deadlines your first Dude, I, setting that you played in Savage Worlds? Uh, for sure, yeah. Um, it's actually the only. Uh, published setting I've played in Savage Worlds. Um, I've read a lot of them, but most of the time we've just ended up um, making our own. I got into like a kick for a while where I was just like, I, I can make my own stuff and make it sweet. And then uh, I think I'm just sort of starting to get back into like reading what professionals put out, you know, and realizing that they spend a lot of time putting it in, putting putting the time in, you know. So. Uh, well, but, no, yeah. we did the exact same thing you did. We just slapped a cover on it. Like, you know, <laughs> ask people to buy it. So it's pretty much the same thing. It's like, we could do something cooler. <laughs> totally, totally. And was this your first uh, first time running Savage Worlds uh, as a marshal or a GM, whatever you want to call it? Um, no, I've been, I think I've run like three campaigns in it. Most, most campaigns I run are like 10 sessions. Um, but we've really only done fantasy. We tried to run like a cyberpunk game for a while, but the scheduling didn't work out. Um, so we've been doing either fantasy or like, uh, steampunky, like we played a game with airships and, you know, flintlock pistols and stuff. Oh, fun. But, Love that. Love that genre. Yeah. So, so we've been playing it for a while. How'd you assemble the current posse, like the current gaming group? You guys, uh, you know, the guys you actually play and, and record sounds like crows with. So the, um, there was a time where I wasn't running a lot of games. Um, and then I worked with most of these guys at one point or another, um, me, Cameron Day, Cameron Reed, and Alex were all working together at the same time. And um, Cameron Day kind of roped me into running a game. I ran uh, Pathfinder. There was this adventure path called Reign of Winter. 
Um, so I ran that for him, and then over time we stopped playing that. Uh, we picked up Alex, and then uh, we switched into Savage Worlds, and then we picked up Cameron Reed. And then um, this last year uh, I was running a um, fifth edition game. I don't know. Are you guys familiar with the West Marches games, like that sort of style of game? No, no, no. Uh-huh. Do tell, do tell. Okay, cool. Yeah, so it's um, it's this game uh, that Ben Robbins did a big write up on. He's the designer behind Microscope and Kingdom. Yeah, yeah. Basically, the it's just a large hex crawl game where each session has to start and end in the same location. And so that means that you can have this large cast of people and characters that just switch out every single session. So I was running a game. It got to a point where at the height of it, we had like 31 players. So I was running like three to four games a week uh, to sort of maintain this game. Uh, And eventually, you know, I just burned out and stopped. But no offense to the rest of the people I played with, but Marshall definitely was one of the best in there and he kind of meshed the best with our group so we poached him and we invited him to join this game with us and then my brother was like hey you're running deadlands can i play and i couldn't really say no (laughs) yeah you can't you can't can't say no to your brother that'd be that'd be an that'd be an awkward conversation so did you guys get away (laughs) with like playing at like work breaks like hey guys lunchtime let's go uh, roll some dice No, we did. We definitely did a lot of on the clock talking about games, or you know, uh, figuring out what we were going to do next session, or um, you know, those sort of conversations. It actually helped a lot of being in the same workplace. I right. can't count how many hours we spent on that, probably. <laughs> but we never played there, no. Well, good deal. We, we we won't rat you out to your employers, man. We won't. We're good. We're good. <laughs> so yeah. So tell us about the show. Like tell us about Sounds of Crows and the concept behind it. Yeah. So it's a Deadlands Reloaded actual play. It's kind of dark. I kind of like to run games sort of HBO style is how I put it. Um, The players do a really good job of killing like inner party drama and conflict. And I think that's really the selling point of the show to me is any time that I can just sit back and let the players talk for 20 minutes and think it's gold. Um, I really enjoy those games and we record that. I, t- I take out about 40% of the content we record. I take out all the stuff you guys don't want to hear. And then I post it in like manageable chunks for commutes or whatever. Yeah. And those chunks are almost amazingly like cliffhangers every time. I mean, it is unca- <laughs> for an unscripted series. Uh, yeah, man. Almost every episode ends. You're like, I want more now. No, don't stop there. <laughs> Yeah, thanks for that. I mean, we don't really we don't really try to do that. It just sort of happens. There was one session I ran where we had kind of got into the rhythm of doing that and ending on these good cliffhangers. And in my notes, my my like last bubble that I wrote with an arrow pointing to it just said cliffhanger. Like I didn't even <laughs> <laughs> Pat Caleb didn't even come up with one. I just put down cliffhanger. Turned out all right. So one of my one of the things that I noticed and that I, I pointed out to to Chris right away is the fact that, you know, in you in your actual play, you guys use a lot of cinematography terms. I noticed that uh, you have a description of scenes of shots, you know, uh, narrative buy-in uh, from your players who speak in character, but also are using film terms. And you don't see that in, in RPGs and actual plays. So what made you decide to use that kind of cinematic movie style? 
So Cat Cool runs this game called Campaign. It's just a little actual play nobody knows about. Uh, and they, they do that style on the show. And like me, my brother Isaac got me into that, and we both really liked how that worked. So we've been using those sort of film shot styles in our games for like two or three years now. Um, and, and a lot of my players have just bought into it. What I like about it is it kind of, if you're describing everything from a character's point of view, you're missing out on a lot of story opportunities, you know? If, if, if you embrace doing film shots, you can cut away to the villains. You can show aspects of the terrain that the party can't see yet. And I think it lets you draw focus to certain areas of characters and pieces of terrain without, you know, um, making the players think there's something special about it. It really lets you kind of creatively describe stuff in new ways. I think there's only so many ways you can describe uh, someone firing a revolver while standing up. And I think embracing the movie shots gives us a lot more opportunities to come up with cool stuff. So do you have to go back and like, you know, give yourself a, a film school 101 on that or it just kind of came natural? I mean, you use some very specific film terms like, do you know, uh, do you just pick it up randomly or do you actually go back and have to look at, you know, film style and but it comes off very um, professionally. Like it's Well, well, thank you for that, but uh, I don't know. We just kind of always been interested in it. I have been particularly for a while like I helped out with a couple indie film projects in town here and around town um, for like the last seven years or so. Like I'm not good or professional or anything, but I'm also just a huge fan of television and movies. And um, I don't know, there's a lot of great YouTube channels like every, oh man, I'm going to screw it up. Every frame every of picture? Every frame of painting. Or painting, yeah. 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 Um, so just stuff like that. I mean, most of the time we're just describing like, you know, pans or you know, rolling the camera in or a dolly shot or something, you know. Um, but no, I, it just kind of came naturally, to be honest. And listening to campaign helped significantly. Yeah, as well. I, I mean, I love that part. And uh, yeah, shout out to uh, James D'Amato and Cat uh, for, for campaign real. for one shot. Those guys are those guys are great. I need to get back to their yeah. show. I haven't listened to their sh- either one of their shows in a, in a while. I need to I need to put those back into my podcast rotation because they're both really really good shows. Agreed. Agreed. So have you always used accents for your NPCs? Oh, uh, yeah. Um, I didn't realize that wasn't normal. Uh, my, my brother Isaac always did it. He was my first GM. And I just, he talked me into GMing, you know, when I was a teenager. And I just did it because he did it. And then um, very recently I've started to come across players that are like, oh, I've been playing for years and no one's ever done that. So, yeah, I mean, I've always done it. Um, I always try to, I'm always, like, practicing voices when no one's around or in the back room, like a complete nerd. Yeah, that's something that, that and I see what, I see where you're coming from with people saying that, that they don't do that a lot. Because, I, I mean, I GM a lot, and I'm just, I'm not an accent guy. I have one accent, yeah. and it's very much <laughs> a, uh, in all of my Deadlines games, I have a, a character named Vasinji. So you might guess yeah. what kind of horrid accent I try to do with Vasinji. It'll come in handy when you go to Italy. And that, yeah, yeah, I can, I, you know, I can talk to, I can talk to Gilbert and a couple of those guys in my you horrible Vasinji accent. Yes, yes. So we, uh, 
Well, our, our favorite is Cole Marston. He's oh, a character. Cole is the best. He shows up. He's he's on the villain squad. Um, can you indulge us and insult us as Cole? Oh, sure, man. I'm definitely going to screw up the voice, but uh, let's see here. <clears throat> Shoot, boy. Savage, savage mommy. I heard you want to call yourself the Savage General, boy. What kind of name is that, huh? And I heard, I heard you kind of help out running a convention or something. Why is that? Nobody plays in your game, so you have to pull rope people together into playing with you, boy. <laughs> and a uh, savage bull. I mean, I don't know what kind of person picks the name Savage Bull for themselves. I don't want to imply you have fertility issues, but uh, you know, I'm just saying. Oh, <laughs> uh, I love it. I love it. That is the best. That's my favorite moment I, ever on the podcast. I love you guys. I love you guys. Cole's just an asshole, right? Oh, my God. It's such a great character. But such a great asshole. It's an asshole that you want to hear and you want to see more of. And when uh, we don't want to give a, a, a lot away, uh, uh, lots of spoilers, but, uh, you know, just uh, know that, that Cole's a great character and uh, things happen. Oh, no, it's just fantastic. I mean, <laughs> as, we were, as we were talking on the pre-show, Cole and his brother Eugene kind of serve as this interesting the show was a group of brothers uh, of blood and choice, and they, those are the Crowboys. And the, the uh, Eugene and Cole are kind of a foil brothers, and it's it's just very interesting to see yeah. the, their relationship and how that happens, and you know when that goes sideways and up down or whatever, and and just got the conflict there, and it's just like oh man, again for being an unscripted like you know not yeah. from a novel show, well, it's great. That, <clears throat> You know, I've been practicing Cole's voice for like a month before we started because we just took so long to start recording. But Marshall, like I just, so Cole has his brother Eugene on the show and I just threw that at Marshall. It's just like, hey, can you play Eugene real quick? And I think he killed that character too. He's not like as much of an asshole as Cole is, but I think he did a really good job. Oh, yes, yes, definitely, definitely good job. So um, let's get into the nitty gritty a little bit because we're a podcast and you're a podcast. Yeah, a little, bu- little bit behind the scenes. Yeah. So your sound quality yeah. is always spot on. So you want to like yeah. hint us in in like your recording environment, editing routine. Are you guys all in the same room? Do you play over Skype? All that kind of stuff. Yeah, 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 yeah. Sure. Um, so you know, I was doing some research before we started the show. Sound quality is very important to me. Um, there's a lot of actual plays online, and a lot of them are not very good when it comes to that department. Um, and so I just, I just, and I, if I listen to a show and it doesn't have good audio quality, I pretty much turn it off immediately. So I did, um, uh, got the people behind God's Fall, which is a 5e actual play podcast. They did a write-up of all the audio setups they've had up until their current uh, season. So I kind of took their stuff as a guideline, bought similar stuff. Um, we just record in my, like, condo. Um, we're, like, garden level, so we're a little more insulated from sound. Um, the only thing that's really important is like minimizing background noise. I'll turn off as many things as possible. If anyone else is home, I'll be like, Hey man, I'm sorry. We're recording for four hours. Like you need to shut up and go to the other room. Uh, <laughs> go, know, go to Starbucks, get a coffee. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I mean, we record like once every two weeks to a month. So it's not too inconvenient for my wife. Um, and then my, we all play in the same room except for my brother, Isaac, who plays Abel, uh, and he's in Seattle. Um, so he bought a similar mic to us. Um, he does the same thing with recording on his end. He tries to minimize background noise and everything. Um, his is a little bit higher than ours, but I just kind of 
edit that out afterwards and go from there. And then um, I just spend a lot of time on the editing process, um, probably about at the beginning. It was like 25 hours. Now it's somewhere between like 15 and 20 hours a week all put into like editing and mixing and um, music and stuff. So. Yeah, it is kind of obvious. I mean, when you, you know, we've dabbled, and yeah, the, just the amount of time is again like you got to think. Every time you make a pass, you have to listen to the whole episode again, and you know, you know, uh, it's just an ama- yeah. immense amount of like doing over and over and over again. And if your computer's not up to it, like mine wasn't for a while, even just doing basic like, filters, you know, like uh, removing noise and stuff like that, and be like, oh, 10 minutes. Okay, fine, I'll go get something to eat. You know, like yeah. uh, compression. Oh, 10 minutes. Um, I'll go watch a show. You know, and uh, even when it's yeah. like, smaller, it's, it's, it's an immense amount of work. So yeah, we appreciate it. I mean, it definitely comes off. Um, really, really nice, like, like butter. So, um, you kind of hinted at this, yeah. but like how many sessions did it take you guys to, um, sit and record what the 22 episodes in season one? Yeah. Um, I think it was about 10. Um, honestly, I kind of forgot. Um, it's somewhere between, it's somewhere between eight and 12. Uh, I would assume it's like nine probably. Um, most of the time, yeah, we're getting two to three episodes out of a recording, uh, some nights we only get one. Scheduling has been pretty bad recently, so we've had some like um, 11 o'clock p.m. recording sessions. So those are typically like one episode, and then we're all done, and we go to bed. Nice. So yeah, so yeah, two well, two to three sessions, and so okay, that's even more fantastic. So uh, as a once you guys out there in, in Listeningville um, start listening to this show, uh, there are an um, amazing number of really good cliffhangers at the end of almost every episode. Um, so that's actually, it sounds like it's organic versus planned. I mean, if you've got to try to get three or well, two Definitely. cliffhangers in and yeah. Um, sometimes, I mean, <clears throat> there's always an element of which we know we're recording a show. I mean, that's another thing I think that's important for actual play podcasts is managing, Hey, someone's going to listen to this at the end of the day. So it's not quite like a normal game, you know? Um, I edit it out, but like maybe 50% of the time I'll be like, hey guys, we got about 20 minutes left in this episode, so let's move it towards some sort of ending. Um, A lot of the times, though, if we're into it, I just kind of forget, and then I have to figure it out in editing where to cut it. Um, So, I mean, some of the episodes, you know, like I have to find, I have to try really hard to find a cliffhanger, but most of the time it kind of comes up organically. Well, and luckily, like unlike TV production, you don't have to be what forty-seven and a half minutes exactly every time. Like, right, you can right, you can yeah. kind of play with that, play with that ending, and and find that uh, you know listen back to that recording and find just that that organic perfect spot to cut it off and drive all yeah. of the listeners crazy waiting for the next week. That's one right. thing I'll say I that think- I really enjoyed is the fact that I I found it after all 22 episodes were up. So it's like a Netflix binge for me. I was able to, to binge all 22, but then I got to the end and I'm like, well, crap, now I have to wait for season two. <laughs> well, luckily we release every week, you know? Uh, it's hard, but I, I don't know. I, I really like weekly releases. I think it's, it's just fast enough that hopefully people can scratch their itch and not get lose interest, you know? Right. Yeah, I think that's really important. I think, I think a show like that is... is it's that weekly schedule. I know from what you've already said, a ton of work for you, but 
with with the style of the show being that cinematic movie TV style, it it lends itself to that very well to that once a week because you know it's like podcast TV form, <laughs> right? Yeah, yeah, for sure. Yeah, I think we're all super inspired by that more so than books. So I think it definitely falls in that style. So how far were you into playing and recording season one before you released the first episode? Um, I think we were at episode um, eight. We were at about episode eight by the first time we re-released. Um, I had a backlog of five episodes edited before we started. So if I got sick or something, which actually I've blown through that entire backlog. So right now I'm just like desperately putting down tracks in front of this running trade. Um, but we started, we started um, like character creation and stuff in July. And we started recording in those. Uh, we released our first episode in November. Wow. That's great so, turnaround, man. That's, you know. Like someone needs to like find some money to start paying people like you to make this stuff because you know like you get a little team of interns that could do all the editing for you and you guys can just like brainstorm. Yeah, just record and uh, yeah, yeah. You know, my first thought was my first thought was hey, get some get some advertising revenue going, but you know, I don't want advertisements. Well, that's the thing too. Yeah. Is, is this, the second you start getting more legit, you start having to make commitments, and it's like, wait a minute, if I get legit and I, then I have to do it, and then I can't just be like, oh no, we're doing other things right now. We'll get back to it when we want yeah. to, you know. Yeah, I mean, I don't really know how far it would go. I mean, you guys know this is a pretty niche thing. Like, not only are we playing Savage Worlds, but we're playing Deadlands. And I, I mean, I think there's there's got to be a set amount of people in the world that want to listen to a Deadlands actual play, you know? <laughs> so I don't know, man. Sure. I think you do a great job of liberating the plot from the system. I mean, not that that needs to be done, but um, you know, this could be... You edit out a lot of the stuff. Like, I mean, we've released actual plays, and they're pretty much like, oh, this is like the con game as we ran it with one recorder in the middle of a loud, noisy table. With, you hear every dice roll. Yeah, every obnoxious dice yeah. roll to hit the table. And, you know, yeah, again, not quality, but people who are desperate for the contents are like, fine, we'll release it. Um, but, like, the... I don't think you'd have to know anything about Savage Worlds or Deadlands to enjoy the entirety of the show. I mean, the, the crunch only comes in, you know, on kind of really you know, important and pivotal scenes. But other than that, I mean, there's, there's nothing that is even someone who's a non role player, um, you know, we would keep prevent them from enjoying the show. I mean, it really does read like a, a movie script, um, or an, an actual, uh, kind of like a radio drama, actually, like kind of the old school radio yeah. dramas that, um, you know, that's how I pitch it to people like, um, that ask me about it that aren't necessarily role players. I describe it as it's an audio book with some dice rolling in it, you know, um, yeah, that but is... I, I, audio drama definitely fits it more. I think just less people know about audio dramas. <clears throat> right, well, I know, but the hipsters, man, like, yeah, that's all, that's all hot again. But <laughs> yeah, I think Chris and I, uh, let's geek out a little bit. Uh, let's do a, a little, we'll say deep dive into season one. Cause we've got some pretty, uh, pretty good, uh, questions that we want to ask you, you know, about season one, about characters and things like that. So I'm going to, I'll let Chris uh, ask that first, this first question and uh, we'll just kind of bounce back and forth on questions from there. Yeah. So Caleb, during season one, there were a couple episodes that you later called cowboy dress up and uh, where your, your hyper masculine crew, they decide to indulge an interest in um, fashion. 
what homoerotic <laughs> bathhouses, shopping. Um, and uh, so for me, as a GM who like, constantly runs convention games versus home games, like these sorts of interludes, like they're amazing, but they get cut because you're trying to get people right. through a complete experience in three or four hours. And the although I mean Fox definitely had one where, where you guys did the short bus group for ETU, which is totally like oh, oh yeah, we'll just do a party and the party turned into the entire adventure. Yep. Um, so for Caleb, like how important do you think these sorts of sessions are for your group enjoyment? Um, I actually quite enjoy listening to them. So um, for our group, I think it's really important. I think if you're doing a con game or you're doing a game that's not as serious as ours, I mean you probably can skip this sort of stuff, but. For us, it was necessary to break the tension, you know. Um, a, a lot of those episodes came out of people came into the sessions, you know, like straight out of work. We sat down, and um, we always do a warm-up scene before we actually get into it, which is just like 10 minutes of us going in character. And most of those, like after the 10-minute warm-up, at least one player was like, hey, man, I don't know if I can do like crows, crows tonight, you know, what can we do? So a lot of those sessions just came out of necessary reprieve for some of the players. And I think, I think it's kind of useful for the audience too, because I mean, it's a pretty dark show where everyone just sort of hates everyone. So I think it's nice to have these interludes, as you say, of actual fun happening and showing the brothers aren't just these terrible murdering assholes and it makes the it brings the it brings the world out a little bit more to show that there's that this is a real world this is there's things going on that aren't just the struggle of the brothers trying to to you know get to that to continue on with that the plot of the show again i'm i'm trying not to give too many spoilers because we want people to get in there and listen to the show but uh i think that those are important interludes because you know, it rounds out the world and it gets you a little behind the scenes of, of there's other things going on and the brothers are part of these things that are going on as well. Yeah, definitely. Um, you, we keep saying the word interludes. Um, I actually really, I, I wanted to say we don't use them on the show, but I really like interludes in Savage Worlds. Um, it's definitely when we first started playing and we came from like, you know, Pathfinder um, it's it's a really cool mechanical way to get people to role play and get people to pull out of their backgrounds uh, information and stuff. So we don't use it on the show because I feel like the boys kind of do a good enough job anyway. They just kind of role play until I stop them. But I would definitely recommend that show. For, oh, I'm sorry. I would definitely recommend that. Oh no, we're we're not a we're not a um a NCPG whatever show. You can we we can say bad words oh, on the okay. show. Yeah. Okay. All right. Cool. So you, 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 you start every Sounds Like Crow podcast with a disclaimer about your real-life degenerate brothers, and uh, you hope the story of the Crow brothers kind of brings some of that feeling to the audience. Uh, any stories about uh, you and your brothers and your degenerate uh, you know, things that you used to do that you want to share with us? <laughs> well, I mean, I don't want to air too much of the dirty laundry of <laughs> my brothers. Uh, the one that springs to mind is my oldest brother, Isaac, sent all of us to the hospital at separate times. <laughs> he, uh, he, like him and my brother, Isaiah, were uh, fighting with tent poles, you know. Uh, I think they were a little inspired by lightsabers. And he, like, slashed Isaiah's ear open, and he had to go get a bunch of stitches. Uh, he once was playing baseball and just full force. Uh, sent a baseball bat into 
my brother Corbin's head and smashed that open and got stitches. And then we were playing football, and Isaac swears he did not trip me. But I know that he purposely tripped me, and uh, I, I, I uh, like, broke my elbow, I think, when I was, like, seven. Oh, man. So, yeah, I was in a cast for – not a cast. I was in a sling for a while. Oh, my God. That's so fantastic. <laughs> I, I actually love his character even more now. Because he, he plays Abel Crow on the show, right? Yeah, absolutely. So, mm-hmm. Which is actually kind of funny because I think – uh, if you compare his real life antics with uh, Abel's, kind of the most stable. He doesn't come off as, as that kind of the the you know obnoxious older brother who wants to beat up the younger brother's kind of character. Um, <laughs> right. But actually, he I, does he does a really good job. He described so when we were brainstorming characters, he's the first person that sent me anything about his character, and he described him as a man who only has a hammer. Like he doesn't, he doesn't deviate. He doesn't know how to do anything else. He's just got a hammer, and so he just n- nails everything, you know. <laughs> that that's fantastic. Yeah, and that kind of leads right into my next question. Like the, uh, so all the Crow brothers, they're adults, but the two oldest are Abel and Thaddeus, quote unquote, Cain uh, Crow. And uh, yeah. and I feel like they're kind of like they're like they're like circling back in life. They they, they seem they've already had you know, a, a, a pretty, they could each have a prequel show. I mean, they kind of bring <laughs> something to the show that they, yeah. they've got, whether it's, um, you know, a major life chapter or stories they've already told. I mean, they kind of have the scars to prove it. Um, I, I don't think that Thaddeus's Kane name has come into play yet on the show. Um, it's on your website, but, yeah. um, no, it hasn't. Yeah. Okay. So the, uh, is that, um, it's just a nod to, to being the second son, like Kane and Abel, or is there more there between the two? Specifically, my little theory that Thaddeus is the source of Abel's extensive scarring, perhaps? <laughs> there's, um, there's a pretty significant story between the two of them. We have been trying. Um, I mean, like you said, it's an unscripted show. It's a role-playing game. Uh, before certain sessions, you know, we'll say, like, hey, let's focus on this character this session. And one of the things we've been trying to do for a while is, like, hey, we should really bring up that stuff between Abel and Thaddeus, and it just hasn't happened yet organically. So, um, man, I, dude, I don't want to say anything without saying spoilers, but I feel like it will definitely come up. Oh, that's good. That's um, good, as though. Far, as far as the name goes for Kane, uh, that's something, like, Isaac had come out with Abel, and Marshall was like, well, I have to be Kane then, right? Like, there's no other option. <laughs> Uh, so his backstory kind of came out from that. And I think it's really just a relic of character creation. I think in his backstory, there are some people that probably know him by that name. I think he went by it for a while when he was up like mining ghost rock north of Colorado. Um, but I'd have to talk with Marshall because I I honestly don't remember. Oh, awesome. Like the, this is kind of why I pinged in on this is that the, I've been working on my own setting and and the background history of it. And in the, this isn't too much of a spoiler. I think it, it might be a spoiler, but I don't know though. But like in the show, the character Thaddeus, um, his main weapon is a spear, which is like spear, dude, spear. But the, uh, here's a little tidbit that may or may not be true in Aramaic. Uh, the word cane actually can be translated to spear. 
Whoa. Right? It's actually true. Crazy. So just in case that might be a spoiler or not. I don't know. That's, the, that's my Deadwood fan theory, my Reddit theory on like the, yeah. I'm smarter than the showrunners. Mm-hmm. I understand that. Yeah, that's my theory. So if that comes to be, that's, that comes to be true and that comes out in the show, I'll be like, I called it. I called it. Back in season one, <laughs> I, I knew called it. it. I knew <laughs> it. <laughs> well, honestly, Marshall might know about that because he, he does a – a ton of research into all of his characters. Every character he's played, I've been super impressed with. So it's possible. I'm, I'm probably going to go talk to him, and he'll be like, oh, yeah, yeah, dude, I know. Don't worry about it. <laughs> <laughs> it, it it's, it's all planned. I have it all planned. Yeah. We've actually already, um, I haven't said this to anyone, but we've already recorded a like background episode for Thaddeus, and it kind of describes, I think it comes up in that episode, about where he got his spear. So I don't know when we're going to post that. It kind of depends on when it comes up naturally in the story, but we kind of got some stuff. Oh, nice. Excellent. Well, that's something to look forward to, a little uh, little uh, um, backstory, a little flashback. So, you know, the, the, the given the age and longer life experience of both Abel and Thaddeus, it kind of feels like there's some, a little bit of, I don't, emotional distance between them and the younger brothers. Um, they both seem yeah. to, you know, harbor some secrets that are rather profound and, but they're not buried very deeply. Um, and the, you kind of, you spent some time exploring those in the first season. Was that planned or again, we, we keep saying this or did it evolve organically as the players created those characters? It was uh, short answer. It was organic. Um, there was some, there were some parameters I gave to them. Uh, the, the longer I run games, the more important I think it is to just set a ton of expectations up front before session one. I mean, a lot of times I'll really restrict people. Either I'll be like, hey, you're all playing humans. You're all from this one town, you know, that kind of stuff. And in this game, I was like, so I need one brother to still be home and everybody else needs to not live there anymore. And you all need to be brothers. And then from there, they just kind of made that connection organically. They, um, there's a spreadsheet that the players maintain that has all the brothers' relationships in um, – for all the other brothers. So um, they plan that pretty early on that they'd have that sort of relationship, but it's definitely a lot different than how I pictured it and how they pictured it at the beginning. Nice. So as long as we're on Thaddeus, man, we're, we're, we're going to pick on Thaddeus. The, um, so <laughs> it, it's, it's kind of obvious from the very beginning, and then you know, it becomes more apparent over the, the course of the season that there's, a, there's this wedge that exists between Thaddeus and the other brothers, and like he's skeptical of Lucky. He's obviously the rival to Abel. He doesn't have a lot of patience for either Ellis or Harper. Um, and he, as far as we've seen so far, is like the, the most closeted character because he's got this major secret, and it's like a major B-plot of the season. And, um, you know, behind the search for justice for spoiler, spoiler, spoiler. Um, so I, I particularly love the scene where later in the season you have a flashback with Thaddeus and he's like sitting on his dad's lap as a young kid. It's kind of a great way to kind of introduce one, one, the father character who's kind of been looming over the season and, um, but also his particular connection with Thaddeus. But there's this one scene after that that is kind of, I don't know. In a way, it was one of the hardest scenes for me to listen to, even though it wasn't the blood and the gore. And that is that the and it's a bit of a spoiler, but I mean, I kind of got to ask is there's this yeah. yeah there's this scene where they're in Santa Fe and in that jurisdiction, being a spoiler, spoiler, spoiler is illegal, and they're burning them at the stake. Was it the brothers' choice to not intervene, or could they have actually intervened and saved that? 
anonymous third party character from getting torched. Well, I think you guys will sympathize with this. So that session, you know, I had these really, really nice notes all the way put out. I did a great job, I think, of introducing, well, at least I was proud of introducing this really antagonistic sheriff really early on. They went and did this adventure that kind of proved that spoiler, spoiler, spoiler. was innocent. They came back and he was burning. I had all these mechanics for this great fight scene in front of like this book burning, you know. Spoiler, spoiler, spoiler. Tied to the stake. I had all these mob mechanics. I had this big villain statted out. And they were like, nah, I don't think we're going to do that. And then they walked away. And then I had to scramble to like fix the rest of the session, you know. <laughs> so, That's what yeah, players do to you, story. isn't it? Best laid yep. plans. You're like, oh, they're gonna do this. They're gonna do this, and they, you know, they're they're gonna they're gonna turn right, and then they turn left on you, and you're like, oh shit. Yeah. Now what do I do? But it, but it was great. But, I mean, that was a great scene. Yeah, that's the great thing about RPGs. I think honestly, right there, summed up in an episode. So let's talk a little bit about Ellis. So from from what we get of Ellis, he's the family man of the group, um, very sharply dressed, but still still a working man, and we get some glimpses you know, of his role as a husband. Um, but we don't get a lot about his chosen profession or his addiction that he has. And, uh, we kind of see him as a little bit of the glue that kind of holds all of the brothers together, kind of bridging Abel, uh, and Har and Harper, um, you know, for a group that's so defined by family, do you find it surprising that Ellis seems to be the only one that started his own so far? And, uh, what kind of talk a little bit about Alex who plays Ellis? What, what, does he bring to that character? Yeah, um, yeah, like none of the other brothers really have families. Um, I think we've hinted at some stuff with Abel, which we'll probably get into with season two of the show. Um, but yeah, first of all, it is definitely surprising that he's the only one with like kids and a family, but I guess that's the curse of being a crow. Just everyone hates you forever. Um, I, and I think, I think you already saw it. I think that Ellis is the connection between all the brothers everyone else has these really antagonistic relationships which plays really well for the drama of the show but everyone's relationship to ellis is good you know he's had um he helped out thaddeus when he was in a bind you know he was the first one that came to abel in the first episode when stuff was going down i mean him and harper and you know grew up together so yeah that's his sort of role in the show is um, holding everybody together. So it'll be interesting to see how that progresses in season two. The, uh, is Alex also a game master or you know, even the rest of the group? It seems like you guys all in, in having that narrative cinematic film style, um, you're, it seems to me that I'm used to seeing more game masters be comfortable doing that. So are, are all the guys you, um, you guys play with, they also run games because it, it seems very natural for them to, character build and world build even while you're playing. And I think a lot of characters in regular games don't feel necessarily the, the agency to world build while they're, they're, you know, they're talking, but that's not a problem on your show. So um, just as, a, as an aside, like the actual guys who, who play with you, are they also game masters? Um, so everyone has GM'd at least once. Um, Marshall and Cameron Day don't really run games that much. They probably run less than like 10 in their lives. Um, Alex GMs a lot. He sort of takes over whenever I don't want to, you know, whenever I get burnt out of running games. Um, so he's definitely a big 
big game master. Uh, Cameron, uh, my brother Isaac jams a lot of games. I'm in a Star Wars game with him right now. And then uh, Cameron Reed um, doesn't really run games. He's running a game for like um, a couple of like five and seven year olds right now. So oh, it's nice. been interesting for <laughs> But to hear that from him, uh, I've played in a one shot with Cameron, but yeah, he doesn't he doesn't game master that much. So, so Cameron actually has the best Instagram handle in history of Instagram handles. It's at Dungeons and Dumbbells because he actually yeah. lifts too. <laughs> like, that's just yeah, fantastic. He was pretty proud. He was pretty <laughs> proud. But I think like they they all just kind of buy into the style um we've been with the exception of marshall i mean we've been playing together for five years now so we just do we're really critical of each other after games you know most of the time we'll talk for an hour or two after we finish a session and this was true before we started recording and just kind of you know give each other constructive criticism and it wasn't all focused on me which i think was really important i think players have a lot of room to grow and put effort in. I think online there's a lot of uh, time and uh, resources put into giving game masters advice, and there's not a lot into giving players advice. I don't know if you guys feel the same way. Oh, yeah, no, totally. Um, I agree with that 100%. I mean, I'd almost say uh, I enjoy being a player more than a game master. I think I bring more to the table yeah. as a player. Like. I like to counterpunch more than the script plot. That's right, because that you yeah. can monkey wrench. Uh, yes, yes, <laughs> you know, and, and it is kind of obnoxious too. Like, I mean, I played a speaking of monkey wrench. I played a like a cabin boy in, in Fox's um, Fifty Fathoms game, and it was just fun though. Like, as like, stepping into a role and like within one session, everybody thinks like, "Yo, you're like, a brand new fun character." You know, I, I love that kind of you know bringing something to the table as a character versus it's it's hard as a game master because you just have to create so much and, and and encounter so much whereas a player you only have to worry about one you know like what is yeah. this guy doing in this in this scene and obviously you know, you consider what everyone else is doing but it's like you only have to have control of one versus man when you're a game master and you're considering like okay so what's Cole doing what's Eugene doing what's the the the, the Marshall doing the, you know what's Jared doing what's the yeah. and you get all of these it's it's a lot to keep in your head but yeah. So as I mentioned, like I, I picked on Harper um, and and Cameron Reed. The um, I think Cameron is kind of like second behind you. The way I've kind of noticed it, um, maybe may not be true, but as kind of the he brings the most kind of director of photography um, elements to the to the, the game. That's kind of why I, I wanted to ask if he was a game master as well. And you, you yeah. kind of already answered that. But um, he plays Harper, who's like the youngest brother, and he's. Um, He's an interesting kind of character because unlike the older two, he hasn't really been bowed by the world or by life yet. Um, he's still on the yeah. up and up. Like he's the big bounty hunter and the killer of men. So I don't know. Is, yeah. is he too cocksure or is he actually – he has the – it's it's funny that, that you know, you write a character who's got like, oh, I'm, I'm going to be great at shooting. And then, yeah, some stuff just doesn't come forth. The dice don't deliver <laughs> for you for a while, you know? Yep. Um, he does – yeah, he does a really good job, I think – he kind of purposely did that. Um, he plays those characters really well. Um, you know, he's he doesn't really play paladins, but he plays that sort of archetype, you know, of the goody two-shoes hero type very well. And I don't think anybody else was going to do it, so he stepped up, and I think he's, he's really killing it. Um, he's got a really – he really embraces the – the photography style of it, uh, like the videography style of it. And I think he's a huge 
fan of Campaign, too. He's listened to the show twice, so he's really inspired by them as well, and we just kind of feed off each other. So, so I want to throw a question out there that we that we uh, I just thought about. Um, yeah. So Harper, Harper's got a, a nickname. Uh, yeah. how, how that how that come about? <laughs> that was uh, man. I'm pretty sure that was another thing we talked about. Um, we we use a messaging service called Slack, which is similar to Discord, yep. where we do a lot of talking. That's where we did our session zero on basically just over the course of a month. Everybody talked about it, and uh, someone mentioned it one time, and then it just kind of evolved from there. Because then it can be like, oh, they're pushing up daisies, you know. Daisy's this real flowery name that it would make sense brothers give to another brother. Uh, they call Lucky Lucy sometimes. Uh, very brotherly nicknames. I think it just evolved naturally. And then there was a joke pretty early on in, I think, the first session that we all got a good laugh out of. And then everybody just really bought into calling him Daisy all the time. <laughs> I like, yeah, I like that. And, and, you know, and he takes it really well and, uh, and they, they just run with it. So you mentioned, yeah. you mentioned lucky. So, uh, lucky is, uh, the newest crow and seems to be from what yeah. we get. He's, he's a crow by choice, not by blood. Um, and you mm-hmm. actually began the show with, with a lucky scene. Um, you know, uh, was that an intentional thing to, to really bring that, that character um, who's not an actual crow in right away it wasn't really intentional no uh we kind of i kind of just said hey one of the brothers needs to be at home and Cameron was like yeah i'll be at home and then later he was like oh also i'm adopted i've got this whole real tragic backstory and stuff and no it wasn't intentional at all but i'm really happy with how it played out so is that is that something that you're looking at uh exploring more is that going to come out where we're going to find out a little bit about about lucky's birth family and and how he became a crow definitely um we've been talking a lot about that recently i'm not sure if it's going to happen this season i would really like it to um but if it doesn't it will definitely come up next season so Nice. So on that, how many more seasons of Sounds Like Crows do you anticipate, just as of now? Um, like, uh, you know, like nine, ten? Yeah. I mean. Yeah. It, dude, it's really hard. It's really hard. You know, it's the choices they've made so far have been really bizarre to me, and the way the story is evolving is not how I thought it would go. So I, I'm not sure. I mean, it's possible that they could just track down the judge, kill the judge, and then all go home within like, you know, 10 episodes or something. But it's also possible that hopefully I can set it up in a way where that's not the end all be all of the story. We, so I, I'm not sure. I'd like it to go on until nobody wants it anymore. Um, well, or a little before that. Maybe like 10 seasons sounds good to me, <laughs> um, but it really depends. It really depends on what happens, you know? Um, we, we will see. We will see. Yeah, I mean, I mean, we'd love to see the adventures of the Crow Boys continue after they get justice for their current spoiler um, Yeah, Yeah, we won't say what they're getting justice for. Just, lo- just know they're, they're, out, they're out for justice. We've even talked about, uh, like, what's we've talked about what's going to happen after they fulfill their current mission. And one of the ideas that was thrown out there is, well, maybe they just finish all go home for 10 years. And then we just skip ahead 10 years 
and restart their story there and see where all the crows are at. I think that would be really interesting. Um, we talked about, you know, we don't fudge dice rolls. I think we've recorded, like, re-recorded 30 minutes of the show because I forgot to replace the batteries in my recorder. Uh, nice, yes. And, yeah. But I think that I, it would be a really interesting story, too, if all the brothers died except for one, and then it was just this terrible, grizzled, lone gunman with this misfit party of NPCs, essentially NPCs played by the, the rest of the bro- brothers, you know? Um, there's a lot of ways the story could go. It's kind of up to the dice at this point. Yeah, and, and th- th- that kind of brings up an interesting question. Is Just in theory, I mean, on the random off chance any brothers actually die, do you think you'll yeah. keep the, the, the person playing them on board and work them in as NPCs or new characters? Or, I mean, it'd be really hard. You're kind of in this family and you're recording, you're doing all stuff, and then your character gets killed. And then, like, what do you do? do you... Yeah, um, it, it would be really hard if a brother died. I mean, I'm sure it's going to happen with, with the way Savage Worlds works. I mean, you're just going to get to a point where you roll for damage and, like, 40 damage comes up. And you're low on bennies. Um, so if, if someone dies, we'll have them roll a new character. We'll integrate them into the story if they want. Um, I know some of the players it's kind of hard to keep scheduling with. So that might be a conversation we have of like, hey, do you want to keep trying to do this or do you want to leave the show for a while? Um, I don't know. We'll, we'll see when it happens. But I, I would err on the side of bringing them back as new characters obviously not crows though yeah i always say that uh things like that uh and and, uh, another show i'm on a couple of the guys we've all always said hey savage worlds happens (laughs) (laughs) you're playing savage worlds and sometimes savage worlds happens and you blow up and get all the dice in the world all the damage in the world and you get a case of the deads and then you know you just have to go from there savage worlds is really cool um, I think it plays really well into Deadlands. I mean, obviously, right, it kind of spawned out of Deadlands Classic, correct? Yes. You guys are pretty familiar with Savage Worlds. I've been working on a mechanic to introduce to the show, and I was wondering if I could run it past you guys. Absolutely. Of course. Okay, so there's there's a mechanic in um, Fantasy Flight's new Star Wars system, maybe it's not new at this point, but Edge of the Empire, Age of Rebellion, Force and Destiny, whatever you want to call it. And the mechanic is these light side points, and they can be flipped to either um, upgrade a check so you could make it easier for you to do something. But that's not the part that's interesting to me. They have a mechanic where you can, as a player, flip it and introduce a fact to the narrative. And we've been playing Star Wars for a while now, and it's really hard to get out of that. I'm a really big fan of player agency and players introducing new stuff to the story. So I think I would really like to have a mechanic that enforces that. Um, I worked on trying to make that mechanic work with Bennies, like just introducing a, a new type of Benny into the, uh, the pot that you could use to introduce a fact or re-roll a, um, a die. But I didn't like how, um, what's the word, unstable that was, you know, like um, unreliable that was. So my current idea is to have five chips on the table called Providence Tokens. And a player at any time can flip one of those and introduce a fact to the narrative. And on the backside of one of those, on one of the five, there will be a crow. And if the crow gets pulled up, 
I instead get to introduce a really big new threat or something bad happens or I get to introduce something that's going to create a lot of conflict for the crows. Oh, I love it. How I do love you guys? It. I like okay. it. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's very interesting because if, if you – People will say, "Well, man, that's that's you're you're, you're allowing these huge allowing these changes in the narrative and things like that." I was going to say huge, but they don't have to be huge. But what what you're introducing to me is not a lot different than GMs who play with the um, adventure cards, because I don't know if it, sure. it, if you've ever seen those adventure cards. Those adventure cards, oh, a, play, a player's going to play one of those, and that can completely change. The narrative. They are swingy as fuck. And uh, so, you know, you're introducing that, but you're introducing it in a more, from the sounds of what you said, a more controlled way, and also giving yourself, you know, that that one in five chance of them flipping that chip, and up comes the crow, and then they're gonna go, oh, oh shit, maybe this, maybe we shouldn't have done that, and yeah. you're gonna bring that in too, so it's not just the players who have that opportunity to uh, to throw that that new thing into the narrative but you're giving your yourself as the marshal gm you're giving yourself that opportunity as well so you know i could see that working just fine um it's it's not you're not really you're not changing mechanics you know you're not changing okay. the core of the game yeah. Well, and it's also very in the spirit of original deadlands too with the three different types of bennies and um, you know, just like the red bennies where you know the GM gets a Benny if you have to spend that Benny. That you know, very much similar to that is you're giving you know players a little bit of uh editorial fiat with you know the option of flipping the, to- the token, but then you get the GM fiat on the one on the five. Um and heck, I mean you'd know. You would know you know there's a certain scene at the end of season one, beginning of season two, um, where you might run through all five of those in one session, like you know, in, in a couple minutes, yeah. where you know players are making fast, furious choices and they're you know they're they're looking for stuff. And um, no, I, I love the, those the mechanics. Idea. Okay, cool. I, I liked the idea that once the crow was pulled, all the chips like were taken off the table. Oh, even, so even better, this, yeah, yeah. I like that. That's a nice risk. Of, yeah, I think so. So like your first try, it's like a twenty percent chance. 33% chance and a 50% chance. I so love it. That's very interesting. In most sessions, it would kind of sit right at the one to two level. And then, yeah, if something really bad was going down, they'd be kind of forced to take their chances. Oh, yeah. And, and then knowing that they got off the table, I, I love that balance because then it's not, oh, well, we're going to outnumber the GM no matter what. So let's just burn through all five every session because the four that we get will probably outweigh the one the GM gets. No, I love that. And, and, awesome. and, and you know, and I would say that as the marshal, I would, I would, I, you know, not to be heavy handed, um, but it, it would be something where you could also say, all right, well, you, you're, you have these and you can introduce things into the narrative. But as a marshal, this might be something where we're going to have not, not something long taking you out of the game, but a real short discussion if I feel like that's just not going to work i mean so, so you're running Definitely. dead you're running deadlands yeah. and so and somebody all of a sudden you know this is this is going to be sounding like a stupid thing to say but i'm just kind of pointing out the what the outrageousness let's say somebody says oh well uh we're in deadlands and now i flip this thing and there's a jet fighter well no there's not right yeah you're in deadlands yeah, I- I have to figure out how to word. I have to figure out how to word it when I write it up. I think it's mostly for 
uh, smaller things or pieces of the terrain they want to interact with. Or, you know, there's a situation that happens all the time where a player's like, hey, is there a chandelier in this room? And you as the GM are like, well, I mean, there probably wouldn't be a chandelier in this room. And that's kind of the point where the player can interrupt you and be like, no, there's a chandelier in this room. I, that's when we've been using it in Star Wars. That's kind of how it's come up is for these minor things. I think um, like if you if you the example they use in the Star Wars book is um, you're on a you're on a planet with no atmosphere. And one of the players goes, hey, do we have spacesuits on board? And then one of the other players flips the chip and goes, oh, yeah, I got him back at the spaceport. And then right, you have a little, a little flashback. You have a little a, a little flashback, and it can be even just a one sentence. Yeah, yeah, I picked those up. No, I, cool. I, I love the mechanic. I think it's important. Like, I'll, I'll go back to a convention or two ago. We had Ed Butterman in town, and he was running. Um, it was an ETU game, and the theme of the game was it, it was harkened back to. Um, uh, oh my God! What's the movie? Classic movie, first movie, one of the first movies in color. We represent the Lollipop Guild. Wizard of Oz. Wizard of Oz. So it was a Wizard of Oz horror film, and we're kind of students in a movie theater <laughs> oh, yeah. watching Wizard of Oz, and and you know, to spoil a little bit, like, literally the characters are coming out of the screen, and they're all evil, and. I, I did something similar in that game, and 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 Ed is a he's known as like a TPK kind of uh, of judge uh, GM. We love you, Ed. And uh, yeah, no, he's great. It's fantastic. But this one, we actually like we won this scenario, and a lot of it came down to and I, I don't know the reason I remember it. Maybe they feel a little bit bad about it, but a lot of it came down to I think me tricking Ed into giving me a much more powerful weapon than my character came with. Basically, it was this: it was that. Um, we're in a movie theater. We're getting attacked by these huge versions of, of the you know, the Tin Man and the, the Lion and Toto. And um, they're all kind of like uh, ghostly evil. And so as they're attacking us, I retreated into the projection room, figuring I'll destroy the projector and maybe that'll make them go away. And when that didn't work, I'm like, well, because there's a lot of movie equipment in this room, there's, there's a lot of electricity coming in here, right? Yes. And, and because it's a fire hazard, there's... There's a, a fire alarm pull here, yes, and a, and a fire suppressant system, right? Yeah. And so what ended up happening is is I set off the fire suppressant system, which drowned, you know, which doused everything, you know, outside the room in water, and then disconnected the electricity and like basically put the electricity to the floor, where there was you know the monsters were all like you know at least the ones around me were standing on the floor, and so I ended up you know electrocuting sure, yeah. them. And it was but it, it, to me like I knew where I was going. I wanted to use the electricity in the the building to electrocute the monsters, but I kind of tiptoed there, going like kind of like the chandelier. Like oh, obviously you ask about a chandelier because you want to grab it, jump on it, swing across the table, and kick someone in the face or whatever, or you know <laughs> climb it and get to the second level. You know do a little Errol Flynn yeah. move. Um, but again, there there wasn't a mechanic there. It was just me like trying to manipulate the GM to giving me like tools to have fun with. Um, yeah. And the dice worked out. I mean, I was like, well, what, what, what's how many how many dice does a electrical shock do? Like, well, let's go look on the back. Like, large burst template shock or whatever. Um, but I, it, I would have felt a little less guilty manipulating the innocent questions of, oh yeah, there's totally a fire suppression system, right? And there's totally a lot of electricity, and there's totally like, you know, um, if there was a hey, I can spend Benny's or I can flip a token or 
Um, yeah, because then it would be a little more balanced than me. Because like, I, the other players at the table didn't really take advantage of that stuff. Well, no, a couple did later. They're like, oh, I had a car here, right? And my, my car would be parked close enough, you know. Um, and then they ended up running over one of the demons of the car. It was kind of fantastic. But, um, yeah, no, I, th- I think that's an important uh, part is giving players agency over narrative. A question I like to ask players in situations like that where they go down the question train is just, what are you trying to accomplish here? Because either, like, if you just tell me what you're trying to accomplish, we can work towards it. I, I don't like to get into those situations, you know, like, because you work yourself into a corner. It's happened to me multiple times as a GM where it's like, oh, yeah, yeah, oh, sure, you cover the floor with water. And then they're like, yeah, and then I shock the floor. And I go, well, my game's over. That's it. I screwed up. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, well, that was, that was kind of the thing, right? It's like I didn't want to, I, I wanted to ask for forgiveness and permission, because if I just said, "Oh, I totally want to uh, just shock the," like I don't have I, my character is not the big bad jock with all the weapons. Like she doesn't, she has like a, a class <laughs> ring is like her big thing or whatever. Um, I don't have anything that you know. So uh, you know, yeah, again, yeah, yeah. It, it was definitely manipulation. I like, try to trick the GM into giving you the big, the big bomb. You know, the the sidecar with the nuke in it. You know, and hero protagonist or whatever. Yeah. But, so we got two final questions for you here. Oh no! Do you have any more questions? Oh yeah, for do us, you have man? any more? Yeah, questions for us. That's yeah. That's we should uh, let me ask that first, and then we'll ask our final two. Cool. Um, yeah, I think. Um, yeah, I wanted to get your guys' opinion on the mechanics, and then is is there anything in Deadlands you think absolutely has to be in the Deadlands game? That's that's a really good question. I'm sitting here racking my brain. I I, I know a couple of things that I that I try to avoid. <laughs> Well, but before before I'll I say that too, I kind of love the one the one major one you've included because that's kind of an iconic character, uh, char- one of many characters, and there's like there's a mini fig for it. It's kind of part of the the definitely the fluff they've carried out, um, but also one that would seem to be not that easy to work into most campaigns. Um, and you've done a really amazing job of it because it's kind of um, central to the plot and it's you know, a major plot point. Um, so yeah, I mean, you've already done that. Um, yeah, I, I took a lot of liberties with him too. I hope that people that are big fans of Deadlands and are big fans of that particular, um, entity are kind of okay with some of the stuff I've done. Oh no, I think it's great. I mean, it's so fleshed out and interesting and, um, some of the little details are fantastic. Um, the oh, I can't spoil it, but no, but the, uh, the, the the composite materials of a certain important item were like, oh, that's awesome! I love that. That's you know, that's a cool detail. Uh, there's a great picture in the Deadlands book of the uh, the revolver that's also like a Gatling revolver, you know, and you got you got this guy with like yeah. missing teeth, and that's already made its appearance. Yeah. So that one's kind of fantastic. You know, yeah, that steampunkish shit, the, uh, yeah, <laughs> right. So like that, that's like you check that box. Having a train involved. Oh, check, check. Train right. involved and 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 uh, shit going down on said train. Right, the, like like the, the, the difference between the rail lines. Check. You know, maybe something. And and I've run a lot of Deadlands, and I've never really done this, and I think it's it's a lacking on my part. But a good duel. Yeah. Well, there, yeah, there has definitely. been a showdown. There ha- yeah. Twice. Yeah. Those rules came yeah, in we, twice so far. But I know what you mean. There's like um. I don't think we've had yet a really long. We we just talked with the guy from the the guys from uh, the Shadow of the Cabal podcast, and they do L five R, and duels are kind of uh, integral to that game as well. And they have this not to spoil their show, but they have one arc that runs for like 
40 sessions where these two characters are just constantly about to fight each other. I'd really like to find that character for Lucky, this person they're constantly like almost having a showdown with. And then, you know, sounds like Crow's finale. They have this epic duel. That would be pretty sweet. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. With the Dragon Ball Z one. Where, you know, are you going to get there? Are you actually going to release something? No, I must level up first. It must be over 9,000. Uh, oh, that would be pretty cool. Well, uh, I obviously have to put dinosaurs in, right? Like, <laughs> yeah, yeah, we were joking during the, the pre-show about like, wait, there's dinosaurs in this setting? It's like, yeah. The, uh, well, that's kind of an interesting thing. Is like, I think you've done an interesting balance because – one of the a lot of people like I when I ran Deadlands it was very much straight western historical ish, not a ton of weirdness. Right, took the horror out. Yeah, and it, I mean again there was a little bit. It was kind of the big bad was part of the horror, but there, there is the interesting question on how much of the weirdness do normal people know about? And yeah. the that's definitely explored in your show. I mean that's definitely part of the. The, I think it's kind of the reason that Abel and Thaddeus are a little more road weary than the younger brothers. The younger brothers are like, oh yeah, we're just in the we're in the old west and we have gunfights and we're and uh, Abel and Thaddeus are kind of like, uh, yeah, no children. There's some shit out there that you have not seen. <laughs> so I, yeah, I think you've definitely explored that. I'll, I'll take it as a compliment that you can't think of anything. Um, and then the second question I have, or maybe the third question at this point. Um, what's your what does Savage Worlds do better than any other system? Do you think easy GM prep? Yep, that's that exact. That's exactly what I was going to yeah. say. Is is the prep when you really spend some time looking at things is just so easy. I call Savage yeah. Worlds elegantly simple. Yeah, Savage Worlds is an elegant system. There's a lot to Savage Worlds if you really dig into the system and really look at what Shane and Clint and, and all the guys at Peg are trying to do. There's a lot to it, but it's yeah. simple. You know, I love the fact, and, and I'm, I'm doing this a little bit more, I love the fact that if, if I need an NPC, that I can give him a name, and I can give him D6s and everything, but maybe a D8 and one thing that they need to be good at. And my my skills, I don't have to spend a ton of time. If he needs a skill, I give him a D6. If he's supposed to be really good at it, oh, yeah. I give him a D8. And you just yeah. go with that. You don't need to spend an hour balancing an NPC. Yeah, I mean, you can even ask your players. I, I always cut it from the show, but I do that quite frequently where I'm like, hey, what do you guys think this dude would have in shooting, like based upon what you know about him? You know, and most of the time they'll be like, oh, you know, he's probably a D8, maybe a D10, something like that. So I, I definitely agree there. I've gotten to a point where I don't prep anyone except NPCs that I know are going to be around for, you know, hour plus. So I've got the final two questions. Fox got them. What can we expect in season two? Without giving too much away. Um, hopefully more of the same. I think we've recorded like, um, six episodes so far of season two. It's getting really dark, really fast. And the show is already dark. So hopefully we don't scare some people away there. Um, it's going to be darker. Um, we're going to get hopefully into more of the steampunk side of things and kind of, uh, do a lot of the, monsters and stuff that we haven't gotten into we're sort of we sort of play the show as you know capital western and then lowercase horror and then steampunk is like a fading whisper in the background of the genres so i think as the brothers get more and more west 
Um, and as the game progresses, we can kind of bring in a lot of those elements that are core to Deadlands. Excellent. Well, looking really forward to it. And, and finally, uh, final question, I think one of the most important questions in, in all of this, where can people find the show? Where can they find you? Uh, give us some details about, about how they go about doing that. So we should be on every major podcast, um, every major, like wherever you get your podcast, we should be, except for uh, Spotify. They're not currently accepting the podcast, but we're on iTunes, we're on Stitcher, we're on Google Play. You can go to our website, which is soundslikecrows.com. Crows is spelled like Russell Crow. If you want to get in contact with the show, you can email us at soundslikecrows at gmail.com. Um, if you want a far quicker response, our Twitter is at Sounds of Crows because we couldn't fit Sounds Like Crows on Twitter. And then I'm personally at Marshall Caleb. And if you if you tweet at me, I'll probably give you a response within a day. So. Excellent. Well, well, Caleb, look forward to season two. I'm really excited. Um, and what day do, what day do you drop the episodes? We always release on Mondays. Okay. Um, we've been releasing a show every week since November 6th, I think, of 2017. Excellent. So if you're sitting at work uh, on, mon- on Monday morning and you need a, a good 45 minutes to get your day going and get your day started off right, you know, uh, download and subscribe to Sounds Like Crows and leave these guys a five-star review. Oh, they deserve, like they deserve it. Yeah. They deserve a five-star Thanks, review. Dad. So get out there, review that show, and, uh, you know, give them some love. Thanks for having me, guys. I really appreciate it. Yeah, we appreciate it, Caleb. Thanks for coming on. And, uh, man, we're really looking forward to what's uh, up for season two. And I personally am going to totally put in my resume for, like, you could have, like, two, <laughs> two idiot radio dudes in the Old West covering shit. We could totally do that. Like, Fox and I have kind of a cameo in the in the, the, the interlude show. The uh, this is this. Oh, man, I love it. It's going to be great. Yeah, you guys, could, you guys could be part of the epitaph, you know? That'd be sweet. Nice. Yes. We'll we'll do radio stuff. We'll yeah. Like a little, yeah uh, that would work. Like a coast to coast with George Norrie, but you know, a couple hundred years before, like strange happenings <laughs> in the West in today's show. Oh, I love it. Be, I have to work on my accents though, man, because you guys put us to shame. Like, yeah. Yeah. Uh, like I said, uh, you probably. Uh, like I said, I have uh, I have Vasingian. That's about it. Vasingian Doomkov. <laughs> take on the West. Yeah. You know, it's so funny. I'll be, I'll be sitting there running my games, and you know, I'll be playing. Uh, I'll be playing a, a female, and I'm like, "Hi, my name's Susan." I'm like, and everybody's like, "Wow, Susan sounds just like you." I'll like, shut up. <laughs> oh, man. Well, thanks so much, Caleb. We appreciate it. We love the show. Um, cool. And uh, yeah. I, I really enjoy. I'm, I'm sorry to interrupt, but I really enjoy your guys' show too. I think you guys do a great job of presenting Savage Worlds information. I've learned a lot just listening to you guys. And I'm going to keep listening for all the news you guys put out because I definitely missed a lot of cool Kickstarters that I could have got on if I was freaking listening to you guys. So next time. Well, thanks. And hopefully we'll, uh, we can get you down here for, uh, for our Genghis Khan. Yeah, absolutely. Appreciate it, man. Thanks so much for uh, listening to Savage Cast episode 23. Give you the kind of the rundown for us too. You can find us. We're on Facebook. We're on Google Plus. Uh, you can go to iTunes, get the show there. Uh, subscribe. Leave us a five-star review, too, if you like what we're doing. Email us questions. We'd love to hear from you. If you have questions uh, about Sounds Like Crows or uh, you want to give some feedback on Sounds Like Crows. Or if be... you guys find content out there that's as awesome as Sounds Like Crows, like send it our way because we love to get tips on stuff to consume and bring to the table. Yeah, and we can put that out there for other people so that, that you know we can grow other shows as well. So, again, thanks for listening to Episode 23 of Savage Cast. 
Cheers, guys. Thank you.